Hey, Marissa, thank you so much for taking the time to join me today. I'm super excited to get to talk to you about your creative process and where you come from and all kinds of stuff in between. So uh, where sure. are you from? Um, so currently I'm based in Chicago, uh, moved here a few years ago, um, but I was like raised in a uh, kind of middle of nowhere, Pennsylvania. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, were you, uh, were you in DC at any point? I noticed that there was DC in, in, uh, some of your website information, like you maybe had some uh, creative time there. Yes. Uh, I went to school in DC for college and then stayed there. Uh, basically up until I moved to Chicago. Oh, okay. Awesome. Awesome. And so, uh, you are doing audio work specifically, right? That's sort of been your, mm -hmm. your focus for most of your, your creative career, or did you start exploring creativity in another way? Um, I think it's definitely always been audio. I enjoyed creating stories and things like that when I was little, but, um, my most recent project was the first time I've had a story of my own that's been published. Um, but I originally started out wanting to do composing more than uh, mm. the audio production work that I do now. So I really was gung-ho towards being a movie composer until oh, great. about halfway through college. <laughs> what happened? What happened halfway through college? Uh, honestly, nothing bad. It wasn't like I, you know, kind of fell out of love with composing or anything, but, um, I had kind of done a double major where I was doing a music major and also an audio production degree. And mm -hmm. I think just around that point was where we were really starting to have hands-on experience. Um, my school had a recording studio, so getting in there, being able to record some different musical artists and, um, also having the chance to record some narration for documentaries, I kind of realized that being, uh, you know, kind of behind the booth doing the technical stuff was more of what I was interested in instead of composing. Mm, so it won out in the end, the behind the scenes uh, aspect of, of production then. Yeah, it was kind of surprising because when I went to school, I didn't even realize, not didn't realize that audio production was a thing, but just it, it didn't really seem like something you just like stumble into, but through mm. kind of a series of you know, meeting the right people and just getting to try my hands on some different projects. Um, I kind of realized that it was a viable career and I think something I was better suited towards versus composing. Oh, that's great. So if, if we may backtrack just a little bit further, then what kind of stuff were you enjoying as a younger person when you were first getting into music or production or finally kind of getting a taste of, of what it's like to, to be inspired by, uh, by some works when you were younger? Yeah, I think um, probably around the point that I realized that music was kind of like a, a viable career path, I think I was around 15 or 16. Um, some of my really big inspirations, the two were the Pirates of the Caribbean movies and mm. um, actually Tron legacy which i have kind of mixed feelings on the movie overall but the the soundtrack was incredibly influential to me um and kind of realizing that those two as well as the video game the last of us um just kind mm. of thinking about how impactful the music was to all three of those and realizing like you know it's possible that maybe i could try my hand at doing something like that as well and i think uh for me kind of really those like epic sweeping scores and also um you know i really like 80s music so mm. seeing kind of like 
synths uh, blended together with those epic scores in Tron Legacy was kind of like a, you know, a moment where I realized like this is something that I'd really want to do and just really love those projects. Oh, that's amazing. I actually have to defend Tron Legacy because for whatever reason, like that was one of the first movies that my son and I watched together. And to to actually be taken in by the the way that the music was put together and you know it was a father son story and and that sort of thing so i was like super mm-hmm. emotional or super moved by by that combination of music and, and film coming together that i actually really loved it and i know it's kind of a divisive thing in in the fan base but um i i do think that there's something special about the way that that there's something magical that is added by by just music existing. I mean, case in point, you have the John Williams moments, the Hans Zimmer moments, you know, even something like Dune or or even going back to Jaws or something like that. There's always something powerful about that. And so you felt like like uh, Tron Legacy and those movies really imprinted on you in that way, like like you realized the potential of of what music could do. Hmm. I'm trying to think which of the the two of those is most impactful. Um. Honestly, though, I th- I think the most impactful probably was the the first Last of Us game in terms of that, um, because I remember I I don't want to spoil it too much just in case someone listening hasn't played it, but basically right before the intro credits play, there's like a very impactful, abrupt, sudden, uh, very intense scene, and then it kind of cuts to this you know melodic guitar, and I remember. Uh, seeing that for the first time and just like how I felt in that moment, I felt sad anyway because of what happened, but then kind of having that calming guitar afterwards, just kind of, I I don't know how to explain it. It just really blew my mind of like how perfectly that music was able to capture and amplify my emotions. And I think that other scores had done that two especially the two that i mentioned before but that particular moment i remember very distinctly as one of those like aha moments yeah and if i'm not mistaken that was uh gustavo santaolalla right he was uh Mm -hmm. oh my goodness uh i've been following his work for a long time and i'm not a video game player and so i'm very slow to catch up on what's going on in the video game world but i remember hearing that and having that be such a success that it it makes perfect sense because you have somebody who who is able to maximize with so little, right? And I, I'm not sure mm-hmm. if the if the soundtrack is like that most of the time, but do, is it is it mostly fairly sparse in terms of composition or or arrangement? Yeah, a lot of it is very centered around solo guitar, and there will be like some accompaniment accompaniment, but especially in like the really soft emotional moments, it'll only be solo guitar, and it also kind of fits into uh, the main character in that series um, plays guitar and talks about it a fair amount. And uh, in the second game kind of uses that as like a bonding moment between him and uh, the other main character, Ellie. Oh, that's awesome. It makes me want to play mm-hmm. video games, but I'm just so, I have no hand-eye coordination. <laughs> so <laughs> I feel like I, I wouldn't get very far in the game. Uh, but le- looking at uh, the way that you approach composition, um, can can you tell me how you... Um, I don't want to say became proficient because it's obviously a learning process for everyone and it's an ongoing thing, but what do you feel was sort of your starting point when you got into the world of composition and and coming up with your own things? Yeah, I think honestly, 
I do think that, you know, my theory classes and the classes that I took in school definitely helped me develop sort of my language and being able to describe my process and kind of, you know, knowing the words to think it through. But I think most of my process came from, uh, I guess, initially trying to practice imitating some of the uh, composers or bands that I really liked um, Mm. just for practice. And then slowly starting to realize what my own style was, especially, uh, you know, kind of going through music school, um, sometimes more modern, you know, kind of think like 1980s forward isn't super hot. So a lot of it was me listening to a lot of film soundtracks from the 80s to present and um, yeah, kind of studying those in my free time, but also having the language of that classical training to be being able to describe what I was thinking and kind of blending those together. So I'd say that my music tends to be, the instruments tend to be very synth heavy and I'll occasionally use sound effects as well, just because I love working with sound effects, but um, some of the backing behind it and the chord progressions tend to have more of a classical base. Yeah, that's wonderful to hear. And having the pleasure of listening to some of your uh, your samples that you have on the website, especially the soundscapes, were so wonderful. You know, I lo- I love the uh, the alien planet one, and oh, you know there you. there was one that you you had where you were um it, you were sort of setting the scene of looking at the stars, you know, and having that kind of feel. I thought that was just so uh, you know remarkably effective, especially with the sound. So, could you talk to me a little bit about how those two things converge, the, those two uh, disciplines, because it strikes me that you have a very strong sense of both of those things, but bringing them together might be a special kind of soup that happens. So could you share a little bit about what that's like? Yeah, I'll be completely honest. I think that a lot of the process that I stumbled across was just trying to smash things that I really enjoyed together. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if I could show you, you know, my old hard drives from college, they're just full of like, test session one and test session two and like, you know, just (laughs) full of all sorts of, you know, pretty mediocre sessions. But I think at that point, I think I was really struggling to decide whether I wanted to go down the path of either, you know, sound design, audio production, or still stick with music composition. And it felt like there wasn't really a reason for me to not pursue both. So I think, um, it definitely took a lot of effort to get to that point where I could, you know, blend those two things together. But I think it was just really trying to strike a balance between like, yes, I definitely still do want to compose, but I also don't want to, you know, ignore this audio production stuff that I'm starting to get into. And, you know, especially at that time too, learning how to do um, field recordings. Um, You know, I wanted to kind of use that as inspiration for my music. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. And it seems very effective in the way that you've used it. And uh, I think in terms of narrative, that's so effective because as I was listening to Liars and Leeches, which is the show that I'm hoping that we'll get to talk about here in a moment, I noticed that there there's something missing in most audio dramas that I think you got right here, which is the the ability for somebody to hear the the narration or the dialogue in a very in a very clean way right it's it's not distorted for for particular effect but you still get a sense of the room that they're supposed to be in and i think that's such mm-hmm. a, a very interesting bit of of technical know-how that uh most don't really 
have a chance to look at because I was listening to the first episode and we could tell when they were in in like the, the I think the grocery store right and uh, mm-hmm. and our, the protagonist is talking to the cashier and then you move them over to their home and there's a completely different room tone and um, I really just kind of wanted to celebrate that for a moment because it, it's just so powerful and it, it's a narrative thing it's not a, a technical thing at some point don't you think yeah I definitely think so and um, I'll try to not get you know, too far ahead of the questions, but <laughs> yeah. uh, both I and the sound designer um, that series, her name is Melissa Pons. Um, both of us come from a technical audio background, um, and for me, this was the first time putting a story, you know, together like that. But basically, in our you know our meetings and discussions, we were trying to figure out ways to take that technical knowledge because we. We know what to expect from certain rooms, how they resonate, how the materials in the room would resonate, things like that. Mm. So we really wanted to translate that technical knowledge into the series. And I think it's definitely better for it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was a, a lot of time talking about room tone and uh, you know what clothes people would wear, what shoes they'd wear, things like that. Oh, that's fascinating. And I, I want to ask you a whole bunch of stuff about that because it really intrigues me. But if we could kind of set the stage a little bit about Hemlock Creek Productions, because Liars and Leeches seems to be sort of like something that you had been working toward for a while. So could you share a little bit about that part of, of your your artistic progress or your, your career to how you arrived at Hemlock Creek Productions? Yeah, sure. This might be a little bit of a, a long-winded answer, but I basically, uh, <laughs> um, post-college, I kind of struggled with this idea that uh, for most productions, they needed to be based in either Los Angeles or New York. Um, no shade to either of those cities, but at the time, I, I really liked D.C., and now I really like Chicago, and I felt frustrated. Um, some of the first productions that I worked on um, – were remote productions um did a little bit of work with fool and scholar which was at the time i based on the west coast of the united states but the voice actors were all over the place and i was just really frustrated at this idea that you either need to relocate to do what you love or have to be really lucky with remote work so i decided that i wanted to create a business that focused specifically on remote editing um And, you know, my initial goal was like, hopefully this will take off. Um, You know, maybe someday I'll be able to make a show, but that's probably going to be like a decade down the line. You know, let's just see how things go. Uh, Started the business in January of 2020, not knowing what was going to happen in March. (laughs) Uh, And it kind of, you know, I was very fortunate that in that time period, um, Hemlock Creek did very well just, you know, kind of working with people who either couldn't travel to studios for safety reasons or, um, you know, trying to help bigger studios where their engineers didn't have a lot of experience doing remote recording. Mm. Um, So it ended up accelerating sort of my five or 10 year plan a lot faster. So I'd hoped one day that I could, you know, make a few shows um, while still editing externally um, for other clients. But that came a lot faster than I expected. It's been about uh, three and a half years. Well, that's phenomenal to hear because it also seems like you've incorporated every single one of your, the facets of your creative interests, which, uh, which I think makes this so effective. You know, you, you have 
uh, behind the scenes audio engineer work, and uh, you also have film work, music, uh, as as well as dialogue. So, did you notice a specific genre or form being more uh, popular than than others during the pandemic? Uh, in terms of specifically audio dramas or like in terms of how much you know, were you doing? Uh, like, was it mostly audio books or, or dialogue or films or, or what was the majority of your work during the pandemic? Definitely in the beginning, it was mostly audio only. So it was, you know, some podcasts. Um, I think I, I did a little bit on an audio book, um, but a lot of it was just really, you know, audio focused. Um, smaller groups, things like that. And then as the pandemic went on, I think some of the bigger companies started to adapt their processes as well. So starting to work with some bigger um, production companies. And then um, I would say maybe after about a year of the pandemic, that's when more um, films started to trickle in and a couple oh, games. Nice. But yeah, definitely for the first year, I think everyone was just so you know, overwhelmed with everything that happened that, um, you know, adding those additional things like a visual element was incredibly difficult. So pretty strong pivot towards podcasts at that point. Right. So I imagine you had to deal with a lot of maybe handholding in terms of helping the talent set up from home, or, or was that something that you dealt with a lot? Or did you just deal with the aftermath of, of cleanup, cleanup crew <laughs> in terms of the audio? Mm, that's a good question. I think it really depended on the production because there were a few people that were like, you know, we're really out of our league trying to do this right now. Like, you know, we want to bring you in to kind of consult and help us set up the actors, things like that. Um, and then there were also a few that um, either they just kind of went ahead and recorded on their own and then sent me the files or there were a few cases where it was I guess hybrid where people had started recording before the pandemic and then couldn't finish. So mm. that that was definitely the trickiest situations of just trying to like match those recordings to pre pandemic uh, recording standards, I guess. Oh, wow. Um, I can't imagine that. Yeah. Yeah. A little tricky, but, but we made it through. <laughs> so uh, you come out on the other side. I mean, not, not that we're done with the pandemic or anything It's just kind of an ongoing mess here, but it seems like, as you said, business is adjusting to this kind of work. And right now, what is your your primary project? Is it uh, Liars and Leeches or, or is it sort of going alongside other things that you're working on? So I guess there's kind of three big ones right now in terms of my personal work. Liars and Leeches is definitely the biggest one. Um, you know, this is my first time doing a lot of things, you know, kind of creating the story, directing things like that. So definitely moving forward with season two, but trying to take a long chunk of time to really assess, uh, you know, what went well, which was, you know, I, I was very pleasantly surprised with how well everything went, but you know, things that can improve things like that. Um, so that's the one thing. Um, also working on, you know, some projects for external clients, um, you know, a couple weekly shows, um, a couple bigger projects, uh, mostly in the audio only space. And then I'm also currently, uh, free, not freelancing, contracting at Naughty Dog, um, working on their games as well. Oh, wow. So that's a completely different facet that you're dealing with as well. So, um, in terms yeah. of, of video games though, what do you think is the biggest challenge of getting it right? You know, or say if there was something that you felt that you had to learn very quickly, 
in terms of dealing with video games and working in that uh, creative space, what is it that that you felt that you've had to overcome to to be effective in that? I think it's just a a very different way of thinking about creating and editing uh, because with films and podcasts, it's going to sound the same, you know, every time you list, listen through it, nothing's going to change. Nothing's going to be in a different spot, but with video games specifically, um, especially outside of cutscenes, you really need to assess things in sort of a changing way because you know, every person that plays a video game is going to play it in a slightly different way. So things like timing and volume uh, will be slightly different depending on when certain lines fire off. And I, I work mostly just doing dialogue for games at this point. But um, it's just something that I think took me a while to wrap my head around of like, this might sound perfect this time through. But when I retest it and play a slightly different way, is it still going to sound good? Yeah, that's the baffling thing because there there could just be so many permutations to the actual presentation that you're like, I can only control this little piece. It's like, how is it gonna fit into the into the larger scope of the experience? Uh, I mean, I I can't imagine that. But do you have a a moment that you remember when you were dealing with dialogue that that you had a breakthrough? If you know, if you're able to share like maybe an anecdote from those times when uh, when you had those. Hmm. I'm trying to think of what I can say (laughs) on a recorded podcast. Um, or if, if you want to open it up to another experience, if we could, if we could go back to something where I know that sometimes Eureka moments aren't as, um, as common as we'd like to think, but I know that they happen. And I'm curious if you've ever had something like that, where, uh, it, it allowed you to do a 180 on the creative process. I would say my Eureka moment in dialogue, it's it's probably going to sound so nerdy because dialogue is kind of considered to be like, a lot of people think of it as very um, technical, very by the book, not a lot of room for interpretation. But I think something that I did recently was learning how to edit very small dialogue efforts so that's things like breathing size um whispers things like that and um most of my experience in podcasting before had been kind of a very similar level of speaking not a whole lot of those smaller moments that you might see in a video game but Mm -hmm. i think Working on those and realizing how much nuance there is to how humans communicate, even with those, you know, sort of non-dialogue things like size and, you know, how you breathe. I think that really helped influence me in my podcasting work because I think a lot of podcasts don't necessarily tap into those minute levels of detail. So I think recognizing that, you know, this is very important to this video game, but I can also put it into Liars and Leeches. I think that actually helped that particular project along a lot of just thinking and directing, you know, how can I direct these breaths or these sighs um, in a way that can really bring out additional emotion that I think if I had tried to direct Liars and Leeches before working on those video games, it wouldn't have sounded as detailed as it ended up being. Oh, yeah, I, I, I can only imagine. I mean, the greatest thing that I noticed about episode one is I'm listening to Liars and Leeches, which I can't wait to get to the end of the season. 
Uh, hopefully I have a little <laughs> bit of time. Just don't release anything new yet because I'm a slow listener. But uh, there was this great interaction when Tanya was talking to her friend and they were having dinner and the timing of the dishes in the conversation was just something that struck me because it's it's not something that's out of place. I mean, it, it has resonance. And I thought this is somebody who knows how to direct in sound because that that again is is just narrative stuff and i'm like how how did you get there and you just explained that completely like it is it is seeing how those little things make a huge impact and uh not to belabor this but i wanted to see if if you could tell me a little bit more about liars and leeches how it mm -hmm. came to be and and sort of where we're at with that a little bit more Sure, in terms of the story itself or kind of the audio behind it. Let's start with the story since we haven't been there just yet. Sure, so I think um, a little bit of background on me. By far, my favorite genre of anything is always horror. Um, I Ever since I was probably like 9 or 10, I used to be like a, a pretty big scaredy cat, but <laughs> by the time I hit 9 or 10, I was like, constantly watching horror really loved like the old ones from like the 20s and 30s really? um just you know yeah and yeah. i've uh you know just i i think there's something really interesting in the horror about how it takes especially supernatural horror takes real life fears and exaggerates them in mm. a way that you can potentially fight or win against them in a way that you might not be able to in real life um you know for mm. example if have you seen nope I actually, I started it and I haven't finished it yet, but I, I can't wait to finish it because it is brutal from the onset and I, I'm right yeah. there with you. So yeah, yeah. Share a little bit more. That's great. Yeah. So, um, without spoilers, something like, nope, um, kind of being a <laughs> metaphor for, you know, exploitation in Hollywood, like, you know, if you're trying to fight against exploitation in Hollywood, it's not going to go the same way as in the movie, but I, I just love how concepts in real life can be uh, abstracted like that in horror mm -hmm. um so i wanted to do something um similar with liars and leeches without getting into you know too much detail um i had a personal experience with gun violence in real life and i kind of wanted to i think also living in the u.s it's a, a fairly common occurrence so i kind of wanted to take those feelings and experiences that you know me and people around me have experienced and kind of abstract them in a way that they could be, I guess, more easily dealt with. Um, so that was kind of where the beginning story of Liars and Leeches came from. But I'm hoping that with following seasons, um, each season will be taking on a different emotion and abstracting it in mm -hmm. some way. So season one is definitely um, fear, but the other seasons will be different. Oh, that's incredible. And this is this is such an effective start to the uh, to the podcast season because as I'm listening, you do this wonderful thing where you you put us in the headspace of Tanya. She's going through, you know, it, it is a, a almost a PTSD moment, and the way that you achieve that with music. And again, I'm trying not to spoil anything because there's there's a lot of like <laughs> nice little twists and turns just in the first episode alone but it's so effective and again we go back to sound we go back to that bed of additional uh i guess nuance that that you're able to create and 
I guess we can kind of get into the technical aspect of it just a little bit more and, and we can mm-hmm. we can try to get a sense of how you put the story together, how you worked with writers on this or or how that process came to be, just so that we don't spoil anything. <laughs> sure. Um so this process I think it honestly came a little bit out of a personal pet peeve of mine, which is where audio is kind of considered to be an afterthought and isn't really brought in until usually at least the script is written. And in some of the projects I've had, it's not brought in until all I'm not brought in until all of the actors have been recorded, you know, pretty much get handled, you know, a little file with a bow on it that's like (laughs) here's everything we recorded have fun and goodness i think i've personally been very lucky that i've worked with people that have gotten some really excellent recordings and you know haven't really had to do any like retakes or things like that but i since i was starting this project from scratch i kind of wanted to have audio be the front and center especially with it being an audio drama um so I, the process was originally that I wrote the story um, and had a writer come in. Um, I'm not a very good dialogue writer, so I created the story, but uh, our writer, KJ Scott, is the one that took the outline and turned it into, you know, the actual script. But as the script was being written and created, I also brought in our sound designer, Melissa, Um, and began consulting with her immediately before we'd even done any recording or even casted the actors because um, there was a fair amount that kind of having two people well-versed in audio looking at it realized, you know, we're going to have sound effects here. We don't have to have the narrator double up, things like that, Mm. that I think we definitely trimmed down this script and my outline a fair amount um, to make it more audio-friendly. And I think having that extra step at the beginning made it turn out very smooth and polished and a good balance between what the narrator is telling the audience and the sound design itself. Because even before we had any dialogue recorded, uh, we kind of already knew what it was supposed to sound like. Yeah. And uh, if I may um, just kind of pry for just a moment, was there ever a moment where you felt like you needed to abandon this? Like you're, you're like, this isn't going anywhere or maybe we're going up against a wall. What happened there and how did you overcome those dark moments where you didn't feel like this project was going to see the light of day? I think for me, the scariest part and the part where I felt very unsure was in the casting and directing portions because, you know, I've at this point I'm getting close to a decade in working in audio. So I was like, I know I got the the post-production stuff is down we got that um the pre-production stuff i think felt a little less nerve-wracking because it's like worst case scenario i decide to end this project and it would suck to not see it through but um you know no harm no foul maybe i'll pick it up a different point but i think the the scariest part was after the casting happened and we were getting ready to do the recording sessions because I'd sat in some recording sessions before and seen directors work, but this was the first time doing it. And I think the total cast ended up being, including a brief line by myself, there were 21 voice actors. So I think at that point, I don't want to say I was full panicking, but was very concerned that I'd bit off more than I can chew. Mm. Um, And I think I, it turned out really well because I, you know, was able to use the lessons I'd learned from previous you know, 
voice directors that I'd seen work before, but I also just happened to be very, very lucky with who I casted and their experience levels. So I think we were able to complement each other pretty well. And um, once we, you know, got all the recordings and were ready for post-production, it was pretty much smooth sailing, but uh, that directed part was pretty nerve wracking. <laughs> but you came out on the other side feeling like, okay, I can do this again. So you, cause throughout that whole thing, you didn't strike me as like a fatalist about it. Like, Oh, woe is me, but rather like you're continuing to learn. Right. And, uh, and take on more down the road. Yeah, I think so. It was kind of more of the, uh, you know, imposter syndrome mm. scenario, I think. And especially with, bringing on the cast members at that point because you know uh paying the sound designer and uh writer at that point was like okay we've already done some work they've gotten you know paid even if this doesn't move forward they've gotten something but especially with the um the cast i really didn't want to either do a poor job directing and have that reflect on their acting skills because of something that i did or um you know, decide not to move forward with the project in which point 20 people are, you know, may have denied other work because they wanted to work on this. So I think it was just kind of a lot of pressure at that point. But then once it kind of actually got into the swing of things of directing, um, it got a lot better. And uh, I can imagine that it's great validation to see that this is an award-winning show already. I mean, as you mentioned, this uh, won Best Audio Drama and Edit Play in the Swedish International Film Festival. And just recently, an official selection for uh, New Jersey Webfest. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Um, I was pretty surprised that, you know, we were able to go that far that quickly. Uh, it definitely made me feel reassured about what we created. But even then, I, even if we hadn't won any awards, like I was just so incredibly proud of what we created that, um, it was kind of like an added bonus instead of like, uh, oh, thank goodness we got, you know, picked. Uh-huh. Right, right. And uh, I, I have to ask uh, you, uh, as you mentioned in your bio, um, as a black and queer owner of this audio production company, do you feel like there is a personal threshold that you're crossing as you are taking this, uh, this production company on your shoulders and bringing these projects to life and bringing visibility to to your community in that way? I think yes and no, because I think when I first started out working in audio and kind of the reason that I wanted to start my company is I was not seeing a lot of queer people or black people in this space. So I kind of wanted to increase visibility there and did, you know, some advocacy, some teaching, things like that. But I think what I've come to realize is that there are a lot of us out there. It's just a matter of working with each other and lifting each other up. Um, so I'm really grateful to have been able to find other people through the course of my um, projects. But I definitely, I think advocacy is something um, pretty near and dear to my heart. So I, I try to do a lot of teaching. Um, have also done some, I, I don't know what you'd call them, I guess science fairs or camps or things like that where um, especially, you know, teenagers that are kind of at that point where they're considering going into careers and just mm. kind of letting them know like, hey, there are, you know, queer people and black people in this industry too and like it's for you. And I've often been told by people like, oh, we're the first 
you know, non-male person that we've seen like doing audio and people act surprised. So I, I would like it to not be that way anymore, but I'm going to try as long as I can to increase visibility. Yeah. And I think that you're doing a phenomenal job at that. It's, it's just incredibly inspiring to see because the work is, is of the highest caliber and it's really exciting to, to know that you're out there doing your thing. Uh, so I do have a couple more questions to be mindful of your time here, but this has been such a blast and, uh, I'm really looking forward to not only listening to some more of your original compositions, but to continue the podcast because it's, it's actually really intriguing and it's right up my alley, but looking forward to, to perhaps we can't really talk much about season two, but maybe we can look in maybe some things that you're trying to improve on for your craft. What are some things that you've noticed, you know, in the last 10 years that you feel like I wish I were better at this, or I wish I could improve on this. Have you zeroed in on some things that you'd like to work on moving forward that you think are like your next frontier? Mm, um, I think in terms of the audio, um, that's kind of hard to zero in on because I feel like I have pretty solid, uh, you know, kind of base level skills, but mm. audio just changes so quickly, especially with, you know, different softwares and things like that. Um, it moves pretty fast. So I think I definitely always want to keep improving my audio skills and just trying to work on as many different projects as I can. Cause I feel like I learned so much from every single one. Um, but I would say my overall skill that I really want to improve more is my writing. Um, because I think I have a lot of, stories that I would like to create and share but in terms of writing that's definitely my weakest spot um and you know having a, a script writer like uh KJ able to help with Liars and Leeches helped tremendously but I think I have been looking towards taking classes and things like that to just kind of improve my story making skills so um that's probably what I'm going to be turning a lot of my attention to uh, in the next couple years or so Oh, that's awesome. That's going to be great stuff for you. Really exciting to know that another writer is joining the fray uh, because it's always good to, <laughs> Thank you. to get some voices there. Um, and uh, this is the second to last one here for somebody who's looking to start their audio journey, you know, maybe uh, a young person of color or, you know, a queer person who is about to begin their journey What? Or, or maybe just anyone who's at the very beginning, what would you recommend to, to somebody who doesn't know where to start? to begin audio post-production? That's a really good question. Um, I would say that my advice is kind of in two parts. I would say on the technical side, I think a lot of people when they start out get really, how do I say this? They get very caught up in the technicalities of audio. You know, I, I know when I started out, I was very nervous about, taking on new projects, um, even as a junior, because it was like, well, you know, I, I did live sound uh, engineering for a fair amount. And, you know, I remember being super nervous because it's like, yeah, I know audio, I know how to edit, I know how to mix, but, you know, this is live sound that I don't have that much experience in. So, you know, I had an internship that I almost didn't try to go for because I was worried about that last little component of what I didn't have instead of focusing on the fact that at that point, I think I'd been in school for three years and, you know, done a fair amount of projects. So I would say definitely focus on the skills that you have and don't be afraid to take shots just because you're 
still learning because I think even at this point, uh, I'm definitely still learning every day and I know I will be for the rest of my career. Um, so I would say that's the main thing and then kind of less away from the technicalities, but I would say find your community in audio because I would say, you know, my, my schooling and my education was definitely a fantastic baseline for me, but I would say I've learned so much from just people in my community or, you know, people I've just reached out to like, Hey, I, you know, I really like this sound design you did on this particular show. Like, how did you, how did you do this? Or like, you know, just kind of talking to people that way and not trying to just befriend people to get ahead, but genuinely building connections and learning from people. Um, I think for a while after graduating school, I was just kind of like ramming myself into a wall of trying to, you know, move forward, but not actually reaching out to people around me and um, asking for help or um, getting to know them or anything like that. So by the time I started actually making community things, just it just got so much easier. Hmm. That's amazing. And lastly, I want to ask you if there's something that you've experienced recently in terms of media, whether it's a podcast, film, video game, or, you know, a book, anything that has sparked that creative um, interest again, or has made you wander or dream again. Oh, man, I feel like, honestly, especially recently, I know people have kind of talked about, you know, horror, or not horror, uh, movies are dying, and, you know, I don't want to watch any new movies, things like that. But I feel like in the the world of horror, just so much has just exploded during the pandemic. And there have been so many good movies and games and things like that that I've played. But I would actually say uh, my answer would have been different if we'd done this, uh, you know, a couple days before. But <laughs> I watched last night the movie They Cloned Tyrone. Have Ooh, you? I've heard of that one. That one's on my list. Yeah, I think... Usually I tend to get inspiration from, you know, the audio in cinema, but just without spoiling it, I I would say that the three main characters in that particular movie, they just felt so real and so human and the every line of their dialogue was amazing. It was, you know, parts mm -hmm. were heart-wrenching, parts were really funny and like I think a lot of the things that I've been watching recently have had really good writing, but that one in particular really struck me of like, wow, I, I want to be able to write like that someday. Oh, that's a, that's incredible. And that's an amazing note to end on. So Marissa, I want to thank you so much for creating this amazing work that you're bringing out into the world. I'm really, really thrilled to get to learn what happens to these characters at Liars and Leeches. So I hope that folks will check it out. But I also want to thank you for your insights and for being a badass and, and for really creating your own <laughs> your own thing. I mean, this is, this is incredibly inspiring and uh, I can't thank you enough for your time. This has been a blast, a total blast. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. This was amazing. Those were uh, really insightful questions too. Awesome. Well, I will leave you be, but I will be in touch real soon on the internet, okay? Okay, sounds great. Thank you so much. Thanks again, Marissa. You take care. All right. Thank you. You too. Bye. Bye.